partnerships on the web at maincf.org. It's just a few seconds before 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill, 102.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. Talk of the Towns with host Ron Beard is up next. Good morning and welcome to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities, to share what works, to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns is produced with support from Cooperative Extension, the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine with offices statewide. Cooperative Extension puts knowledge to work with the people of Maine and like WERU, whose mission is to be a voice of many voices, operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio, in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. You know, most, most people are inspired to eat locally, and that, by that I mean not just at local restaurants. They're trying to find fresher, better-tasting local food and trying to reduce the environmental impacts of long shipping distances for what ends up on their dinner plates. By doing so, they're also increasing our food security, assuring that food will be available from local sources into the future. And if it works for vegetables and eggs and meat, might it also work for fish? Um, that's what we'll be exploring um, today, uh, community-supported fisheries, shrimp for sale. And we have some folks in the studio who can help us with that topic. Aaron Doherty is with the Penobscot East Resources Center. Um, he's the project director for something called the Down East Initiative, and we'll talk with him about um, that in a, in a moment. Uh, Aaron, welcome to Talk of the Towns. Good morning. Thank you. And we also have Ted Hoskins. Ted is a board member for Penobscot East uh, Resource Center. He's also the Minister to Coastal Communities and Fisheries with Maine Seacoast Mission. And uh, uh, welcome to you, Ted. Thank you, Ron. It's good to be here. Um, perhaps both of you could provide a little bit of background for listeners um, as to how you kind of came into this work. Um, uh, perhaps uh, um, Aaron talking a little bit about uh, how you came to Penobscot East uh, Fisheries Center. Sure. Um, well, I've, I've been here for just about two years now, and I uh, was really interested in the work that this organization does. I think it's pretty unique working with fishing communities and um, fulfilling our, our mission, which is securing a future for fishing communities in eastern Maine. So it's a, it's a unique place and good opportunity to, to really um, be right in fishing communities and work with fishermen to uh, make sure that there's a a future and access and protect the resource and all of those things rolled into one. Mm. And I noticed you said fishery communities, not fishermen or fisherwomen. Right. Um, that's a that's a distinction. Yeah, um, we uh, we're looking at uh, the whole community, and I think that uh, fishing can really only exist when you are uh, when you have a supportive fishing community. Mm. Ted, how about your own background? And, and maybe you can pick up on that notion of community because that's what you're about. You've always been about community. That's the basic word. And I worked for the Maine Seacoast Mission after I moved north here about, oh, I don't know, 15, 18 years ago and uh, was boat minister aboard the Sunbeam and worked on the island communities, the fishing communities there, and recognized the need to pay attention to the fisheries. And so I asked the board if I could uh, develop a new job. 
And what would that be but to the coastal communities and the fisheries? And uh, it's in those years that I was one of the founders of the Penobscot East Resource Center, and we've seen that develop and grow under Robin Alden's leadership. And uh, just delighted when we have someone like Aaron to be with us and, and give us the strength and, and purpose and work that he's been able to do. Mm. Aaron, a little bit of background, um, more background on uh, the uh, Resource Center itself. How did uh, Robin and others come up with the idea? Uh, what was what was the initiative for that? Do you remember? Um, well, <laughs> well, maybe Ted has I, some some notion about that as well. But start yeah, with you, Aaron. Yeah, sure. I, I'm sure Ted can add to that um, since he's he's been around uh, um, forever uh, with Penobscot East. Um, but you know, our work, uh, like I was saying, is is um, securing a future, and we're working in uh, from Penobscot Bay east to Canada. Um, so I I know that uh, when Robin started working with with fish, fishing communities. Um, Quite a few years ago, uh, you know, they were addressing some of the same problems uh, we have today, and in fact, in some cases, uh, the, the situation's even worse, where there's fewer opportunities for uh, for fishermen. Um, the point where we are right now, we're more than 90% dependent on just one species, and that's lobster. So um, before, fishermen used to be able to catch scallops in the winter time and shrimp in the winter. Um, ground fish in the spring into the summer and lobster and, and so forth. Um, and I know that Robin and, uh, and, and uh, Ted Ames and Ted Hoskins um, saw this as, uh, as a loss of opportunity for both fishermen and their communities. And that in order for Eastern Maine as we know it uh, to, to remain and to, for these communities to continue to flourish, we really need to have um, more opportunities for fishermen, and that means more access, that means protecting the resource, um, and that means, uh, in many cases, managers really listening to what fishermen have to say and uh, taking in that local knowledge and, and using that in management decisions. So for all those reasons, that's that's really why the Resource Center came to be. Mm. Ted, anything to add to that story? Uh, well, no, the story is, is right on. Yep. The, the specific of the Down East Initiative got its beginnings as we... Uh, had a, an initial name of Down East Groundfish Initiative, being specifically concerned about our lack of access on the part and also the loss of the fishing itself uh, with the fish not being there. And so we paid attention to that and focused and, and eventually were able to bring Aaron uh, on board to get us uh, moving in this direction in an effective way with the New England Fisheries Management Council. And uh, a part of it, you referred, Aaron, to the involvement of the fishermen and the necessary involvement. And this is another thing. We, we feel the distance between, sometimes between the, the regulators and the communities mm. that are dependent upon those fish that stand in the middle uh, has been too great. And so we've been quite involved in trying to get the fishermen uh, a better voice and uh, to bring not only their experience but also their needs and their in insights uh, to bear on the decisions that are being made in fishery management. Mm. And that's certainly changed over the the years um, as well. It used to be, as Aaron said, there were plenty of fish, and fishing methods were such that uh, it seemed to be something for everybody. Um, that's changed as we've um, seen the fisheries kind of disappear. They certainly have disappeared, mm. yes. Mm. Yeah. And that's because we're more efficient at fishing, 
Uh, there are uh, other competitors besides those coastal Maine fishermen who are who are, are fishing in uh, waters that that uh, we would fish in. Well, we've we've fished the the species down is what we've done, mm-hmm. and we've taken one after another, and uh, we failed to take note of the fact that uh, as we took more and more out, what we would do would be get better and better in the means of of getting the fish. Mm -hmm. And so we didn't notice that we were fishing the whole species down. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly they would just collapse. Mm -hmm. And and then we'd be in trouble because it's a whole different matter to to get them to rebuild. Mm. And that's certainly the case up in Newfoundland with the cod fishery. Um, th- you know, if, if you think of Newfoundland as a place where cod is the supreme fish and Maine is a place where lobster is the supreme fish now, we realize how delicate that balance, Absolutely. Um, balance Absolutely. is. Absolutely, right? absolutely, yes. Uh, maybe we could talk a, a little bit more about uh, the, the state of the fisheries. Um, Aaron, you mentioned um, uh, an older day when people had um, they had um, boats that could go out uh, for a day, and mm-hmm. they would rig those boats in different seasons for different fish. Right. That was a pretty sustainable way of life um, for, for a long period of time. What's the status of those, those fisheries now? You mentioned um, uh, lobster. Um, uh, mentioned uh, uh, we, we heard some news yesterday that the scallop um, um, season is, is curtailed. Um, no more scallops uh, for this year. T- tell us a little bit about the, the state of the fishery itself. Sure. Um, if I could, I'd like to start with ground fish just yes. because... Um, and ground fish are a... You better define those. Yeah, sure. What, what's, a, what's a ground fish? Well, uh, that's just a general term, but it's uh, you know, fish that everyone knows, the cod and haddock and flounders and uh, pollock, hake. Those are all bottom-dweller fish, and that's why they're referred to as ground fish, and they're managed as one collective unit because when you go out and uh, when you fish for ground fish, you, you generally will, will catch a mix. You don't just catch one one species, so they're managed together like that. And the, the fishing method, what, how, how are ground fish um, brought to the surface? Yeah, there's a couple different ways. Um, traditionally, here in eastern Maine, uh, it was with uh, tub trawls, and this is uh, many years ago, um, starting from many years ago up until... Um, you know, probably 60s, 70s, 80s, uh, even even more recently, people still uh, use hook gear. Um, and that is just, uh, it's a, a bunch of baited hooks, and they sit in a in a tub, and you, you bring several of those out and um, set your baited lines in the water. And as you go through, you set them. When you finish, you come back, and you and you haul them. And, um, so and, one, uh, one hook, one fish. Right, exactly. Basically. Um, and other ways are, for example, gill nets. It's uh, nets that sit on the bottom of the water, and it's monofilament line. The fish don't see it, and they just swim into it. And uh, fishermen are, are really skilled at setting these in a way that, you know, they're, they're on the right spot on the bottom where the fish migrate, migrate through, and they're really effective at uh, catching a lot of fish. And as, as we've seen, they may be too effective now because um, we've gotten to the point where uh, we, we don't have ground fish anymore. Um, dragging was is is still another one where you um, drag a net across the bottom and you collect a bunch of fish that way and that's actually what um, that's probably the predominant gear type at this point and there's ways of making each of those more sustainable or, or less sustainable but um, you know I think the key is to have intentionally inefficient gear hmm. and to uh, to well, not for everybody to, exactly for everybody for everybody right. yeah, right. yeah. To, so that you're not uh, getting to the point where you catch every last fish in the mm-hmm. sea, mm-hmm. Um, but that you intentionally make it inefficient so that you leave some not just for yourself for for the next day, but for your children and, and the generation afterwards. 
Mm. So uh, talk about some of the individual um, kind of more popular species. Um, you talked about groundfish. What are some of yeah. the other species that Maine fishermen have traditionally gone after, and what's the status there? Well, definitely uh, scallops was another big one. Um, now, uh, just about, uh, it seems like just about every fisherman up and down the coast uh, had the opportunity to go catch scallops. And now, uh, whether you're talking about state waters inside three miles or federal waters outside of three miles, uh, the opportunities are far fewer. Um, starting with just federal fisheries, the management, the rules were changed last year so that uh, far fewer people have the chance to go out and, and get scallops now, and that was done to protect the resource. Um, I think there are better ways to do it that can protect the resource and benefit the fishermen and ensure future access. Um, but what that's done is it's, it's, it's cut a lot of people out of the fishery. So they limited the number of people who could fish. How did they do that? Well, basically what they, and this is what's usually done, um, uh, is you'll pick years where fishermen have gone, say, you know, uh, up to 2006, for example. And if you've fished up until then, based on what you've caught in each year, you can continue to go. Mm. Um, the problem with that system is, what about the next generation? How do they get into the fishery? Um, in most cases, they'll have to come up with a lot of money to buy a permit and buy it from someone else. Um, so you've got one generation that started back when there weren't even permits to begin with, and mm. they could catch what they wanted, and um, and now we're at a point where a permit may cost $100,000, $200,000 or more. Um, I've talked to fishermen from New Jersey with scallop permits, and they're over a million dollars. So the scallop fishery has... has um, um, not necessarily collapse, but there's so much concern about that, uh, the, the, the number of scallops that they've cut back and using the number of people who can, who can fish. Right. Now, I think it, it, it has collapsed in many ways. Okay. Uh, the inshore uh, scallop fishery, we really, we really did a job on it. And uh, so there are drastic measures to try to bring that back. And we're trying to find ways for fishermen to be involved in the development of those management schemes. And there are some excellent ideas mm -hmm. coming along and are trying to be fed carefully into the Department of Marine Resources uh, where those inshore uh, decisions are made. Uh, the the uh, expensive permits that you referred to with the scallops are, are usually for the offshore ones mm -hmm. in federal waters. Right. And... Uh, the uh, opportunities for making vast amounts of money mm -hmm. are there. Mm. So you can uh, imagine in that kind of scenario, it's the uh, um, corporate kind of interests that will come in. Individuals may not be able to, 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 to do that, and so you're going to have to figure out another way to, to finance fisheries. This is an important thing, and I'm sure that uh, Aaron will be talking more about it, but a lot of the concern for the uh, Penobscot Resource Center and the Down East Initiative is this means of access. How do you allow fishermen the ability to go fishing again mm -hmm. and fish in such a way that we don't continue to fish the species down but uh, allow it to, to grow and provide for the future? And I'm, I'm sure Aaron will, will mm -hmm. be speaking to that. Mm -hmm. How about the lobster fishery itself? Um, that's, a, that's another traditional form. Um, it seems to me over the last uh, 10 years, we've seen a pretty stable um, um, number of lobsters who are yeah. caught. But this mm -hmm. last year, we had some price um, problems. Right. What, well, I'd, I want to address that, but I actually want to go back okay. just a minute, if that's okay. Yeah. Um, it, Ted really got me thinking about um, 
fishermen's ability to, to just catch, you know, different species in near shore waters. And the boats in eastern Maine are traditionally day boats, day boat fishermen. They'll go out for a day. They don't spend an overnight. They'll mm-hmm. come back, which limits how far offshore you can go. And we do have these opportunities where, you know, you can go off, you can catch um, a tremendous amount of scallops, you can make a lot of money offshore, you can do the same with ground fish. Um, but along the way up until pretty recently, there were always opportunities for fishermen to make a day's pay in shore, whether it's from scallops or lobster or, or ground fish. And that those opportunities are fewer and fewer. Um, and now with, with the state waters fishery for scallops too, we're looking at the at this being drastically cut back. We we do need to address resource concerns, and and it is um, good also that um, you know hopefully DMR is is listening to what fishermen have to say about how to protect this resource and how to bring it back in a way that um, can allow this future opportunity for more people to be able to to, to fish inshore. But going on to on to lobster, um, you know, the resource has been good. You know, it's been unprecedented for for quite a few years now. Um, I would say since at least the mid-90s, the, the lobster resource has been really healthy, really strong. And it's allowed a lot of people um, to get into it and, and to, to do well to support their families and have you know these thri- thriving fishing communities along the coast. Um, and a problem that we've seen recently is a drop in the price. Now, it you know, we we were concerned about being dependent, and I think a lot of people are concerned about being overly dependent on lobster. The problem that a lot of people saw coming up is, well, what if the, the what if the price of fuel goes up? Um, you know, what if uh, the the amount of lobsters drops off? And th- these are the things that are going to affect fishermen. But what we saw instead was the price of lobster just plummeting, hmm. and it had the exact same disastrous effect that we were concerned about, where. You know, it, it hits fishermen's bottom line, and um, and you just can't make ends meet if if the lobster price is two dollars, two and a quarter a pound. And that's that's the pure supply and demand economics is basically what drove that price down. Well, I I don't know if it was just supply and demand. I think that there were were other factors at play. I know some of the you know the point where we are with lobsters right now. It's it's really consolidated, and and they're. The majority of lobsters, Ted, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they go to Canada for, for processing. Well, at a certain point, some of them do, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I think, you know, with, with the economy the way that it was and, and the credit crunch, I think that that affected these bigger consolidated processors, which then went on down the line mm-hmm. and, and affected fishermen. Now, I know there's more at play than that, but that those were mm-hmm. some of the yeah. things that were Yeah, it's been part of the whole worldwide economic crisis. Right. And... Uh, when the banks in uh, uh, Iceland failed, and then they couldn't loan the money to the Canadians to mm-hmm. buy them from mm-hmm. the Americans. When the summer season is over, and the summer people come and they're willing and, and able to buy the uh, the new shells, the shedders, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, you can't ship them far. They're they're best to be canned and, mm-hmm. and to be processed. And we used to just ship them, uh, you know, a, a goodly amount to Canada to be processed. And that just didn't happen. Mm. And so the bottom just fell out mm-hmm. and the summer people went away and the market disappeared and the economy failed and everybody was uh, trying to stay afloat. Mm. And uh, that was at the same time, at least back last summer, when fuel prices were still Fuel prices up. were right up through the roof. Yeah. Bait prices were mm-hmm. way up also. Mm-hmm. And you just didn't know how you'd make it through. Right. And uh it's it's maintained that uh, through the fall. Now prices are back up, but 
but everybody's on the shore. Right. I mean, they've taken right. their traps up. Right. And uh, and what you were both seeing as a result of that is the effect on not only fishermen, but mm-hmm. the communities that Absolutely. those fishermen yeah, um, lived in. Right? Yeah. I'll just remind listeners that they're tuned to Talk of the Towns this morning. We're talking about an uh, option to do community-supported fisheries. Um, and we'll talk about shrimp for sale in just a moment. In the studio with us, we have Aaron Doherty of the Penobscot East Resource Center. He's also the project director of something called the Down East Initiative, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. And Ted Hoskins. Ted is a board member for Penobscot East. He's also with Maine Seacoast Fishing. He's uh, Maine Seacoast Mission, and he's the Minister to Coastal Communities and fisheries. Um, You can participate as well if you'd like to call us at uh, toll-free 1-866-625-9378. That's 1-866-625-9378. If you've got a question or a comment or you'd like to share your experience about uh, fisheries in general or community-supported fisheries in in the specific. Aaron, talk a little bit about the Down East Initiative, Um, you know, what what your role is that and what, what it is. Sure. Um, the Down East Initiative is a major campaign to restore sustainable ground fishery in eastern Maine. And as I mentioned before, there were opportunities to go catch ground fish. Fishermen would uh, catch ground fish in the spring and summer. Um, we've gotten to the point now where no one from Penobscot Bay East is catching ground fish. Um, there were a few people here and there over the past few years, but because of the loss in the number of permits in this area and because of the devaluing of the few permits that are remaining we are now at the point where though we have a lot of fishermen they're mostly catching lobsters now virtually no one has the rights to go catch ground fish so even when the ground fish do rebound and i say when because i i honestly believe that with conservation they will recover we uh seriously could face the point where we have a healthy population of ground fish and no one here to catch them. No one here in Maine to catch them. No one here in, in eastern Maine. And, and, and this isn't just eastern Maine. This is spreading out throughout the rest of Maine, too. Mm. Because those fish, because of the, it, it's a curious thing. Yeah. We can't put a, a fence around them and kind of ranch them. You know, these are kind of a, a public resource that everyone has access to. And um, so if there aren't any permits here in Maine, those fish may still get caught from somebody else. You refer to the fact that they're a public resource, uh, sort of, but they are a public resource. Mm-hmm. And one of our concerns is that it be maintained as a, as a public resource and not be privatized mm-hmm. and uh, belong to a particular corporation or, or set of individuals so that others can have access and so that it can benefit the communities right. uh, as well as, as individuals. Right. So you're... you're um, um, Supposing that the ground fish in eastern Maine will kind of recover, right. um, what are you doing to try to get that access back um, if it's if it's if it's uh, kind of eroded away? Yeah, well, uh, there's at least three big pieces of what we're working on right now. Um, one of them is area management, and that's looking at different areas of the water differently. So rather than managing the fish as one big unit from Eastport down to Cape Cod. We recognize that Eastport, the stocks in Eastport are going to be a little different than they are in Cape Cod. They're going to do things differently in terms of migrating inshore or offshore. Um, if you if the fish rebound in Cape Cod, that doesn't mean that there's any to catch in Eastport. Um, and I'm just using those two extreme mm-hmm. um, examples. But uh, what we're trying to do is designate an area in eastern Maine from uh, Penobscot Bay East out uh, 
off of the coastal shelf, off of about 50 fathoms, um, and and really protect the the critical habitat where the fish are spawning, uh, where the juveniles are, and and really manage this resource as they come back to ensure that they stay at sustainable levels. Um, and, and right now they're managed as a uniform population throughout the whole kind of um, Cape Cod to the to the uh, Canadian border. Exactly. Right. Um, another piece is we are committed to buying uh, ground fish permits that can be then used as a public resource and leased out to fishermen um, that can you know fish it in a sustainable way. So it's um, so it isn't just uh, something that's privatized and given to the people with the most money, but it's there as an opportunity for fishermen in Stonington to use or MDI or Goldsboro and Jonesport and so forth. So you've kind of recognized that that's the way the world is going, but you're going to try to uh, tinker with the marketplace a little bit by going into the marketplace, getting those permits, and then making them um, available to um, local fishermen. Right. Uh, this is a management scheme, uh, you know, basically under what we call days at sea mm. that uh, has been uh, the way that the New England Fisheries Management Council has seen to uh, fulfill the requirements of the Magnuson-Stevenson's Act in, in terms of uh, sustaining the stocks or rebuilding them. Uh, we don't think it's worked. Mm -hmm. uh, we're not alone in that thought. And so uh, we're in the midst of looking at different ideas, and uh, Aaron may want to talk a little bit about um, sectors and other means of, of looking at um, uh, the management um, sure. I'd so you've mentioned um, kind of area management. Mm -hmm. You've mentioned this idea of kind of intervening in the permitting process to try to pull some of those to make them available. There are other strategies right. as well you're working on. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, another thing that we're working on is is to support a few fishermen for now just to go fishing again and just to um, just to get out on the water next year. Um, we're looking at uh, just five fishermen to start and using hooks only uh, and seeing if this area could support mm -hmm. a small-scale hook fishery. So it's it's something that is, I mean, we've just got to jump in and try and uh, support those who are willing to do it. And um, and hopefully this will become an opportunity that expands and more people can do it and we can we can keep it um, available as, well, a, as an option for people to get Can you talk a little bit about why, why the hook fishery? Uh, yeah. I mean, we talked about the different gear types, right? Uh, but hook fishery would would accomplish what? Well, that goes back to what I was saying before about making gear intentionally inefficient. And this is not the most efficient gear out there. Mm -hmm. You know, if if um, we want to use a hundred gill nets or um, a very effective drag, we'll I'd most definitely catch more fish. Uh, with hooks, we're we're limiting ourselves. We're saying that we are going to. Um, we're going to be lighter on the habitat. We're going to be better for this uh, fishing habitat, and we're going to catch uh, just a certain size of fish. And it's um, so it's going along with that theme of being intentionally mm -hmm. inefficient. And you, have you looked at this model elsewhere? Is that where you're getting the idea to kind of make everybody a little bit inefficient to share that resource? Uh, yeah, I mean, I th I think this has been recognized as a gear type that's a little bit better for the habitat. Um, it's not the only way to do it. You know, uh, the Port Clyde fishermen just across the bay are also making their, their gear uh, more habitat-friendly. And uh, Glenn may want to talk about this if he joins us later, but mm -hmm. um, they would be using a larger mesh net and uh, lighter net on the bottom. These are things they've already started doing and, and had um, 
better impacts. With. So if you had a, a, a fishery that was based on um, hook fishery, could mm-hmm. you keep the nets and the draggers out? Is that the idea that you're trying well, to... Well, th- this is part of what you go back to the concept of area management. Mm. If mm. you are given the ability to control the, the means of fishing and the time of fishing, et cetera, uh, within an area, you can say you can... Anybody might be able to come in and fish in there, mm-hmm. but they have to fish in a way that will allow us to have a sustainable fishery. Mm. We know how to fish everything out. We've sure. done it. Sure. Right. We know how to clean it. Right. And, you know, our electronics will show us where the fish are. Mm-hmm. And, and our gear types, we, we can sweep it and, and, mm-hmm. and clean every corner right out. But that's not the point. The point is we want to be able to fish for the generations to come. We want our, our children and our children's children to have the opportunity to fish because this is the only way that our communities will be sustained. Mm-hmm. If we care about these coastal communities, they have to have a means of, of uh, economic success to some degree. Mm-hmm. So we look toward what do we do to get a sustainable fishery so that it will continue going and yet give us enough of an income so that we can be uh, a thriving community. And it seems like um, the the federal fisheries folks don't talk about communities so much. They talk about fish. Right. So you're you're trying to really um, add a, a level of, of kind of insight, inspiration to uh, the notion of how we manage a public resource. Well, we're underlining mm-hmm. what is already in the magazine, Stevens. Okay. There is recognition of the need for attention to community in the legal basis for all of this okay. happening. But you can bypass that in your attempt to just pay attention to the fish. Uh-huh. And so we're, we're very much into that. Well, I just wanted to add to that, that, um, Ron, I think in, in some ways you're right. I think that there are so many problems in fisheries, especially in New England, to look at right now that federal fisheries managers are really focused right now on making sure that we bring back the resource mm. with the assumption that everything else will take care of itself as that happens. And so what they're doing is setting strict quotas or limits on how many fish you can catch without necessarily saying what scale those quotas are set at or or where you catch the fish. Mm. Um, what we're trying to do is to say, that's great. The, the, that's, the, that's the bottom line of what we need is, is limits uh, on the resource. But what we also need to, to pay attention to is where those fish are caught, who catches them, and how future generations of fishermen have opportunities to catch those fish in the future. Mm. And that's not something that we're um, collectively throughout New England doing a very good, chance, uh, very good job of paying attention to right now. Mm. Well, you're, t- you're tuned to Talk of the Towns this morning. We're talking about community-supported fisheries, shrimp for sale, and we have Aaron Doherty of the Penobscot East Resource Center and Ted Hoskins, a board member, and he's also with Maine Seacoast Mission. He's the minister to the Coastal Communities and Fisheries. We're joined now by phone by Glenn Libby. Welcome to Talk of the Towns, Glenn. Hello. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Thanks. Um, tell us a little bit about your efforts in uh, the Port Clyde area to um, introduce community-supported fisheries um, as a concept. You got it started in Maine. Yes, we, uh, it actually started at a meeting at the uh, Gulf Research Institute. We went down there, what they call a fish tank meeting, and they had a lady on the phone from North Carolina, Susan Andrietta, her name was, and uh, she was talking about a community-supported fishery, and they also had a farmer in the audience that was talking about the CSA that the farmers do. And uh, we got the idea on the way home that this is something that we could probably do. So we we started it last year in January by selling a few shrimp shares, and uh, 
in the meantime, we got involved. Uh, it, well, I guess we were involved with it anyway at the time with the area management effort. And uh, we were looking for a way to reward the fishermen for taking conservation measures. And basically, I, I've been listening to your program, and Aaron was talking about making the gear less efficient. Mm-hmm. Uh, what you're doing, you're, you're trying to reduce habitat impact and uh make the gear more selective, reduce the discard rate, things like that. So uh, in order to do that, you needed a pricing incentive. So the market was a really important component of making it work. I mean, if you just kept selling to the normal markets, you didn't have any, uh, you know, you wouldn't get that price advantage. Right, you didn't have the flexibility. Yeah, so we, we, uh, we took and created a marketing system by using the CSF to start with, that uh, paid the fishermen more for doing things a different way. Mm. So that was kind of getting getting fishermen to, to market directly to consumers. You used a, a network of churches, I understand, to get that started. Well, we started at the church in Rockland, the uh, Universalist Church in Rockland, and then we expanded to the Good Turn Food Co-op. We've got three food co-ops involved now. There's one in uh, Damascotter and another one in Belfast. And then we had a lady contact us from Unity, who's, uh, I think it's a restaurant, Cross Tracks Catering. Mm. And uh, we've actually got a delivery going there right now. So we drop off up there. And we've got one in St. George where people come down and pick up on Saturday morning. That's great. So, And, and what's been the reaction um, both on the fisherman's side and the consumer's side um, to this different way of marketing fish? Oh, they're thrilled with it. When they... Uh, Shrimp is a little tougher sell because if anyone that knows has picked shrimp, it's uh, quite a lot of work. So uh, we're, uh, we've sold quite a few shrimp shares, but uh, not as many as we did groundfish. Mm. So tell us about the groundfish. What, that was this summer? Yeah, and that went really well. That was a big surprise because we thought we were selling whole fish to people, and we thought it would be a problem for people uh, having to fillet their own fish. But as it turned out, I mean, a, a whole fish like that, just fresh off the boat, is really fresh. And the people had never had anything that tasted like that. They, <laughs> I had one uh, one of my friends that was buying a share, his wife, she wasn't, I think she's from the Ukraine or somewhere, and she was asking him, she says, uh, there's something wrong with this fish. It doesn't smell like fish. And he said, no, honey, it's not supposed to. I like fish. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're you're kind of uh, pointing out that usually any any fish we buy, if it's been caught in Maine, it usually goes to Boston or in some cases Portland, and then comes back to us, and and that's a fairly long delay. Yeah, there's some local processing. I mean, but and we did have to teach all the people how to fillet fish, but that was fun too. I mean, we they all bought knives, and we did demos, and uh, another benefit they got out of it was from making uh, fish stock. Uh-huh. We had several people come up to us and say, I've got a whole freezer full of fish stock ready for this winter. I'm all set. That's great. That's great. So um, what's what's the future for you? How will you kind of take this, um, what you've learned so far, and, and uh, make use of that in, into the future? Well, it, what it does, I, you guys were talking about public access before, and I, I like to use the phrase that uh, fishermen don't actually get paid for the fish, they get paid to bring the fish to the people that own them. Huh. Um, you know, 
it's all about that, and it's all about Maine losing access. You know, Aaron was talking about permit banking. We're interested in that, um, keeping access in areas or towns for people to use now and in the future. I mean, we've got, we've been able to, we've been fortunate to lease a small processing space in Port Clyde. We're going to be able to pick some shrimp and fillet some fish next summer that should help expand the market even further. And uh, we hope to bring more fishermen in. There's been talk of working with the fishermen that do try to go from Stonington and vice versa to bring everybody together. And uh, that will help to create sort of a political force among fishermen if we're all on the same page. And maybe we can get something done through the council that way. That's great. And how are you organized? Are you a co-op? Yeah, we have two organizations, basically. We have the Mid-Coast Fishermen's Association, which is for the advocacy work. Uh, going to the council meetings and so forth. And then the uh, Mid-Coast Fishermen's Co-op is the business end of things. That's how we do the business of selling and preparing and all that. We formed the co-op originally without any intention of selling, but as it evolved, it, you know, like I said, we, we needed a way to uh, boost revenue in a with a depleted resource and to try to help bring it back at the same time, so... So it originally it was set up as a, a co-op that would allow you to buy in bulk and, and kind of spread that around in, in the, the members. Yeah, share the cost of leasing right. and things like that. Right. There's a lot of advantages to having a co-op. Yeah. Well, Glenn, thanks so much for being with us on Talk of the Towns. I, I know you, you said you're probably listening anyway, so if, if you think of something you want to uh, pitch in later on, give us a call back uh, here at uh, Talk of the Towns. All right, well, thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks, that was Glenn, Glenn Libby. Yeah, good uh, to hear from you, Glenn. And you can participate as well as, as uh, uh, Glenn uh, by calling 1-866-625-9378. That's 1-866-625-9378 or locally 469-0500 as we talk with Aaron Doherty and Ted Hoskins about um, community-supported fisheries. Well, let's turn to that now and, sure. and uh, uh, find out, Aaron, how you got started thinking about uh, community-supported fisheries and, and the shrimp season this year. Um, well, you know, as Glenn had mentioned, that this was something that they started with shrimp uh, last year, and I think they had, I may be wrong, but I think it was around 100 pounds, and it was just a way to, to jump in and, and just get your feet wet and try it out. Um, they were successful with, with ground fish, and, you know, I, I share that, that same vision. It was something that we had talked a lot about at Penobscot East, that um, in order to have this uh, future sustainable groundfish fishery and any other fishery up here, we really need a different model. We can't just get uh, 37 cents a pound for shrimp or 70 cents a pound for groundfish and have to truck it down to Portland or to Boston. That just doesn't make sense, especially the farther away f- you get from those places. Mm. Uh, when you get up towards Jonesport, you, you end up with a product that's uh, not competitive with something that's caught down there, and you get a lower price for it, and it really doesn't, doesn't make it... Um, doesn't make it work for the fishermen mm. and so this is a part of the solution the overall solution and so um you know we wanted to try it out with shrimp this year uh, we started um pretty small not knowing exactly how it would work and i think uh about or, or i would say a week or two before our first delivery we had uh quite a few uh, we, we had a few customers who were interested and it was about 150 pounds worth of product that we would have uh, sold that way. By the time we started, it was up to about 240. Uh, today, we're closer to 500, and that's just for Stonington and Blue Hill. Mm. Now, we also have another 
uh, CSF that is run out of Mount Desert Island with two fishermen over there, Keith Pierce and Lawrence Hodgkins. And they're actually both out shrimping today. Um, and the CSF over on that side will start today on MDI. And uh, there's there's a couple in Ellsworth as well. So remind uh, listeners how uh, community-supported fisheries, like their sister community-supported agriculture, how it actually works. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's worked with CSAs for a long time, and this is really what supported uh, small-scale farms. And I know it's it's led to a lot of farms thriving throughout the country. The way it works, basically, is that customers will pay money up front for the season. And with farms, they'll get a box of vegetables. It could be you know, spinach, cucumber, squash, whatever, whatever's in season. That, that week, for right, instance. Right, right, yep. exactly. And they'll get that for however long the, the CSA runs. Well, CSFs are pretty similar. Uh, right now, we're just working with only one species, and that, in this case, it's shrimp. So we're asking customers to pay uh, for a 10-week program. It's $75 for a half share, which is five pounds of shrimp each week. Uh, for a full share, which is 10 pounds, it's $150. And that works out to $1.50 a pound, which I think is is pretty competitive. Um, and it's a win-win situation. As a customer, you get fresh seafood. You know that you're supporting a local fishing community. On the fisherman side, you get a little bit more money for your product, and you have a guarantee that you've got customers for at least 10 weeks. And that all that money is staying local. Right. <laughs> that's, yeah. a, that's another advantage. It's I supporting think. the local economy. Right, right. And um, so how many customers do you have at this point, well, roughly? Well, o- over on this side, from Stonington to Blue Hill, we have 57 customers, which has really grown from mm. the first week. And, I, and I'm just, I am so excited about it. I'm really happy that that, that many people have taken interest in it. Um, it's from, you know, there was a notice here on WERU. There was um, coverage in local papers. Um, and word of mouth and, and email, and, and that's really how it's gotten out there. Um, and people have, have just called up and said, you know, tell me a little bit about this and how do I do it? And it's it's grown from just a handful to 57 people now. And it's still available, so you'll list that phone number yep. at some point still during available. the show. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. On MDI, we've got about, uh, about 40, 45 people. That includes some customers over on uh, the Cranberry Isles, uh, MDI up to Ellsworth. Mm-hmm. So h- how does it actually work? Um, the, the, the person signs up, mm-hmm. provides um, you um, as a kind of a, uh, a kind of processor uh, for, right. for the money. Yep. And then w- w- when deliveries actually happen, how does that work? Well, it's uh, for Blue Hill and uh, Stonington. It happens every Saturday morning. Uh, at 9 o'clock in Stonington, we have our first delivery. And then at 11 o'clock in Blue Hill, we have our second delivery. The first one is at the office of Penobscot East Resource Center uh, on School Street, just up the hill from the Opera House in Stonington. And the second one in Blue Hill is, uh, it was at the Fishnet. It's going to be in the in the co-op parking lot. And it'll be that way f- uh, starting, uh, food continuing co- this Saturday co-op. for the next the eight food weeks. Co-op. The food co-op. Yep, yep. yep. Great. We do have a call. Uh, Let's go ahead and take that call. Go ahead with your question or comment, please. Yeah, hi. This is Neil from Belfast. Good morning, Neil. Go ahead with your question. I just wanted to say a couple of words from the uh, customer's point of view, Uh because we are members of the co-op out of Tenet's Harbor. Yeah. And I just want people to know we have been extremely pleased. Uh, We joined up on the fish co-op, and then we signed up for the shrimp. Everything has been great, high-quality they're always there. We pick up at Belfast Co-op. They're always there when they say they're going to be there. When there was a problem with the snowstorm, they called everyone, let us know they had to change the time. 
There was one week when the boats didn't get out because of uh, uh, the weather. They called up. They said, well, we can't make, you can't get your fish this week. We'll add another week on the end. Uh, on the end. And uh, courteous, uh, dependable, and everything we've gotten from them has been fantastic. Uh, one thing that I want to make sure people know that I'm not sure they touched on, it's just the two of us. We don't need a whole lot of fish. They do sell half shares. Mm, yep. So we have we have the half share, which is great. It was enough for us to have a wonderful fish dinner uh, once a week, and still we've got some put up in the freezer still. Uh, and uh, my freezer's filling with shrimp right, <laughs> right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, Neil, just let me uh, check in. Um, how do you use the shrimp? Um, what what recipes do you? Um, how, how do you cook the shrimp? We've, we've done everything from we we uh, saute it with pasta. We've had shrimp pizza. Uh, every, you know everything in between. It's. And had you uh, yeah. dealt with shrimp before, so that the yeah, uh, I was actually in the restaurant business for a long time. Okay, so, so it wasn't quite as much uh, for uh, for uh, someone who hasn't had to uh, uh, take the heads off and so on. Um, it wasn't one was a, a barrier for you. No, not a problem, and it's not that it's not that much work. You just got to you know be careful you don't get poked. Okay, <laughs> great. Well, thanks so much for your call this morning. Thank you. You're t- tuned to Talk of the Towns here uh, on WERU. We're talking about community-supported fisheries. Um, you can participate as well by calling 1-866-625-9378. We do have another caller. Go ahead with your question or comment, please. Hi, this is Jean Gale from Belfast, and I would like to put in a plug or a question. Uh, I've met a number of people who are in my situation. I'm a single person. I do not have a freezer. I would love to participate with maybe a quarter share. I wonder mm. if you could do that. Mm. That's all. Well, thanks very much. And, and um, you say you've got some other neighbors that might participate as well. Well, I haven't gone to the point of finding somebody specifically who will split a half share with mm-hmm. me. Yeah, so that might be an option. And again, the folks here in, in the studio don't uh, deliver to Belfast. That's the uh, uh, Port Clyde uh, mm-hmm. group. So that may, uh, but we will talk they may about be that. Listening or, yeah. or just, yeah. just yeah. ideas. That's it's great. It's a great uh, service, and I'd love to participate. Okay. Thank Thanks for your call this morning. This idea of how do we get it to the, the people who need it or want it. Yeah. Right. Well, I know uh, I share with two other people. You know, uh-huh. So there's three of us together on a full share. Uh-huh. And so there's ways of putting that together and making it work. Right. And and if one person doesn't have a freezer, chances are somebody else might. Yep. So getting together with your neighbors is probably yeah. a great yeah. idea. That Aaron? works. You know, one of the things that makes this so exciting is that we're not talking about uh, pounds of, of fish in the ocean. We're not talking about um, how to manage it or, or uh, necessarily depressing issues with fisheries. We're talking about food, you know, <laughs> and, and, and this is fun to talk about and it's, it's fun to get and it's, it's exciting to, to get your bag of shrimp. In many cases, you know, they're, they may still be moving. <laughs> they're that fresh. So, um, for example, today on MDI, they're, they're coming out of the water probably around uh, 12 or 1 and people are going to get them at 5 o'clock. Great. So one of the things we actually have to tell people is that you know, it's it's uh, it's sometimes it's a challenge to pick them, and uh, you may want to wait a day, and and they're actually easier to pick that way. <laughs> keep them cold. Keep them cold. Keep, keep them cold. Leave them out yeah. at night. We'll, yeah. Yep. We'll, so we'll come back to kind of the processing in a minute, but we do have another question or, or uh, comment from our listeners. Go ahead with your question or comment, please. Um, yes, I just wanted to let you know that um, I was brand new to picking shrimp and fish. And, you know, I am a female, and I learned how to fillet my fish, and they are. They're fabulous. My kids eat them, and, you know, 
previously, we've always had trouble getting them to eat fish. Um, never shrimp, but fish. But both of my kids will eat fish hamburgers, fish tacos, and the co-op out of Kenneth's Harbor, we have our pickup at the Good Turn in Rockland. Uh-huh. Um, they supply you with a recipe each week. So oh, great. each a new recipe. That's wonderful. And and, and uh, how did you find out about this? Um, did you see it in the newspaper? How did you we learn about it? We were members of the UU Church in Rockland, so we actually learned about it through them. And last, um, last winter we had half a share of shrimp, um, and we usually, last season we boiled them whole and just had a shrimp boil. Uh-huh. Then we got involved in the ground fish, learned how to fillet the fish, and tried out this, different recipes. This year... We got a full share of shrimp, and so we come home, and we have followed all the wonderful picking directions they've supplied us with. So we soak our shrimp for anywhere from an hour to 24 hours, depending on when we want to use them. And then it's really easy to pick the shrimp after you've soaked them for a while. It's you know, pretty much a two-step process, and you have this nice little hunk of shrimp meat. That's great. That's great. Thank, thanks so much for your call this morning. Thank you. Bye-bye. Um, 1-866-625-9378 for uh, Talk of the Towns this morning. I believe we have one more call. Go ahead with your question or comment, please. Is that me? Yes, that's you. <laughs> okay. Hi, this is Elizabeth Dickerson from Rockland, Maine. I'm actually on the city council in Rockland, Maine, and uh-huh. I just happened to be driving down the road and turned on this program. And this is really the first I've heard of this, which surprises me because I usually think that I hear about a lot of different things. But I just wondered... Since I am on city council, maybe the um, Port Clyde group could definitely make sure to get me this information so I can be sure to put it, um, to announce it at meetings and just spread the word so people know about this, because this definitely sounds like a really neat thing, and I definitely want some more information about it. Great, Elizabeth. Thanks for your call, and you could check that out a little bit probably at the Good Turn uh, Co-op there in, in Rockland. Okay. Do they have information yes. about that there if yes, people wanted to find out? That's right. That's where they uh, drop off in Rockland. Oh, okay. Well, I'll do that. Great. Thanks okay, for your call this morning. Thanks a lot. Yep. So we're almost at the end of the hour. Um, we've got 10 minutes. We'll um, list our phone number one more time and then come back and maybe perhaps get some more ideas about um, processing or uh, taking care of the shrimp once you get it. one 625 9378 for Talk of the Towns as we talk about community-supported fisheries. We do have a caller. Go ahead with your question or comment, please. Yeah, uh, this is Corey from Little Cranberry Island. And uh, we were thrilled to learn about this program and even more thrilled that the fishermen will be delivering it actually to our island, which is you know, such a rare thing. <laughs> we usually have to go off to get it. Um, but my other comment was that this is a wonderful program to coincide with the idea of knowing where your food comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody else had made a comment about their children now eating fish, and you know, it's so important for kids to know where the meat comes from, where the fish comes from, and what it looks like before it gets processed. So uh, it just um, is a wonderful thing that, that these guys have started, and I just wanted to say thank you. Okay, well, thank you, to, thank you for calling from Cranberry Isles this morning. one 625 9378 We have one more call. Go ahead with your question or comment, please. Uh, yeah, I, I used to work on a fish dragger that uh, uh, based in Steuben and County in 1980, 1986, and uh, that boat's gone, and all the rest of the boats in the area uh, are gone. I mean, the fisheries collapsed down that way, but I'd hate to see the option in the future eliminated. So I applaud the efforts to preserve that. And and um, when when you were fishing, what were you fishing for? It was ground fish. Ground fish, mm-hmm. yeah. 
58-foot fish dragger. Uh-huh. So this idea of, of uh, everybody kind of using less efficient gear, less efficient not for the, for the person handling the gear, but less efficient in terms of how many fish and, and selectivity, you'd, you'd applaud that sort of, of, of move? I applaud managing the resource. It's, uh, people actually tried at that time uh, long lining, in other words, hook a hook uh-huh. fishery, and it wasn't successful. Now, whether it can be done differently or better, I don't know, but it's been tried, and off of New England, it's labor intensive and could never compete price wise. And so I don't know, I don't know if that's the route to go in terms of preserving the resource or not, but yeah. uh, that's. It's, it's a mixed issue. Sure, and I guess the, the, the idea behind this community-supported fisheries is that um, you may be able to make up some of that price if you're giving, you know, you're directly connecting with your consumer. Um, you get a premium on, on price that way. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we sold, <clears throat> well, m- the majority was trucked to Portland or Boston, but some was sold to a local wholesaler who processed. They also had a, re- they also had a retail operation. They also were in the process of trying to start up a restaurant, a fish, fish-based restaurant. Um, we bought fuel locally. We bought fishing gear in Maine. We bought. We had uh, diesel repairs done locally. The boat was built by a Maine boat yard. So, you know, the and the, the boats were unloaded by local people. Mm. We we paid wharfage to a local wharf. So the the value of those fish rippled through the local economy in a big way. And all the crew was local. So it's if you take the fish away or the fishery, you you kill that whole process. Mm. That's so good to hear that because that's really where it's at. It's yeah. it's the whole community that gets involved when when uh, this takes place. Well, thanks so much for your call this morning. Okay. And I believe we have one more call. We'll take one more call. Go ahead with your question or comment, please. Yes, this is Glenn Libby calling back. Okay, <laughs> Glenn. Yes. Thank all the people that have called in that are our customers, and just to give some information to. The people that were interested, it's uh, they can go to midcoastfisherman.org or portclydefreshcatch.com, and our phone number is 207-372-8065. Great, Glenn. Thanks so much for calling back with that good information. Well, we're about um, going to wrap up, but um, what, what things have you encountered as you've delivered fish? What have been the reactions that you've seen um, um, here, Aaron? Well, if I could, I'd, um, before I answer that, I okay. just want to give our number, too, Okay, actually. yes, please, please. <laughs> um, so anyone who is in the, the Blue Hill to uh, Stonington, Blue Hill, Ellsworth, MDI, Cranberry Isles area, um, our phone number is 367 2708 and my name is Aaron and you can just uh, give us a call let us know if you're interested or just ask questions so it's midway through the season yeah. but you can still sign up you can still sign up and our website is penobscoteast.org great so again um, the great question about um, someone who said they soaked their shrimp um, mm-hmm. that's a good way to kind of get them ready for uh, um, uh, processing yeah um, that that is one way to do it uh, what I do is you know if the Shrimp are caught on Friday. I'll pick them on Saturday, mm-hmm. and that usually works out just fine. Um, you, and then you, you can, can either freeze it. them or um, use them immediately. Yeah, more I'd, or less immediately. Another thing that I do, it's even easier, is just bring water to a boil, um, toss in a handful of shrimp, uh, let it cook for about ninety seconds, and or uh, less. And, or less yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's the thing with shrimp; you don't want to overcook them. Right. Um, and you know, I think most whole, people that know shrimp 
having been had overcooked shrimp. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think so. And they taste so good that way. Yeah. You just so is that pop. the whole shrimp that you're putting it's in? It's the whole shrimp, and then, and then you're then you're and um, then you take the head, head off, off and you peel it. It comes out real easily, and I you know you can just eat it with cocktail sauce or however you want. Great. Great. Well, as you look to the future, um, this kind of, as we heard from, from customers, um, this really is making a, making a difference in right. people's lives, both for people who are fishing and people who are consuming fish. Do you see this as, as the way to go? Yeah, I think, that, I think that this is going to be one piece of the overall puzzle. I don't think that fishermen are going to sell necessarily all of their seafood this way, certainly not right off the bat. But it is a, a good part of uh, their overall market, and it's just fantastic to have local customers involved. So I, I also do want to thank people are, who are listening, who are uh, who are customers of this, and, and supporting local fishing community. Mm. And um, Ted, your hopes for the future as you uh, kind of see some of this Down East initiative play out. Um, if we could come back in ten years, what what would you hope to be seeing? I would hope to be seeing uh, each community having its own. Uh, fisheries association of some kind where they can be participants in the management process and that we will have gained greater access to a growing resource. Uh, we need to keep that access open for our young people that are growing up and for the people who make up these communities and uh, provide a, a future for, for the Down East mm. area. Mm. Mm. And Aaron, let's list those um, uh, phone numbers for Penobscot East one more time in sure, case people want fresh, uh, fresh uh, shrimp. Absolutely. We've, we've still got eight weeks to go starting this weekend. So that number again is 367-2708. And our website is penobscoteast.org. Great. Well, we've come to that time when I want to remind you that this program was produced with support from Cooperative Extension and the Hancock County Extension Association. With offices in each county, Cooperative Extension is the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine. Our radio collaboration with WERU began in 1990 and continues with your support. Join us from 10 to 11 on the second and fourth Friday mornings of each month for Talk of the Towns. Our theme music is a medley from Coronac on a Balmain House Highland music recording. Thanks again to our guests in the studio, um, Aaron Doherty and uh, Ted Hoskins, both associated with uh, Penobscot East Resource Center. Thanks to those, all of you who called in. Uh, thanks to Glenn Libby for participating by phone from uh, the Port Clyde area. Um, thanks to our underwriters. Thanks to Amy Browns for engineering our program, and stay tuned for On the Wing with Joel Raymond. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning. <laughs>